And welcome back to another episode of Blossom Town. We are your hosts. I am Steve. He is Wally. He is Dave. Before I toss it over to the boys to see how their week was, we want you to know this episode is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com. Make sure you use promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that order, as well as free shipping. First and foremost, thank you boys for holding it down here on Monday. It was a dark, dark place that I was in, not being able to talk about football and Probably, I think, being the worst in the gambling section, which we'll get to here a little bit later. Gentlemen, how are we? Thank you for holding it down Monday. How's your week been? Going really well. Happy 30th birthday once again to you, Stephen. It's great to have you back. And then I guess the only other thing I can say is that this is one of those days where I was just like already like I'm beaten down, like my head hurt going in and we came on. And within 30 seconds of talking to you guys before the show, I like feel so much better. And it reminds me, this is fun. And this is like, a like, I look forward to doing this. So I'm doing really well. And I wanted to tell you guys, you guys are the best because this makes my day. It always does. I, you talk. this makes my day too, brother. I don't know what to tell you. Today was a pretty standard day for me, though, so I, you know, I don't share those those same feelings as you do. <laughs> That's okay. I'll give you the Coach G hug from here. <laughs> I love seeing you, my own personal Pepto-Bismol bottle, back in the pink shirt. I love it. I can't imagine myself anywhere else. Yeah, and it's out of this world right now. Oh, God. It's, what a yeah. terrible pun. What a terrible And the terrible. worst part is 90% of the people are just listening, so they have no idea. Steven has a space background. And they're just like, what I the do. fuck is this? <laughs> like, what are these guys doing? Wally, I love that. I loved that uh, that pun right there. I mean, you really, you really were shooting for the stars and landed on the moon, bud. Let's go. I, I do have Dave. You want to throw one in? Come on. He's having a stroke oh, over I'm there. In, I'm in pain. I'm about to have a stroke. <laughs> oh, don't go down like Apollo thirteen. That is three. We have our rhetorical question here of the day. Not the rhetorical, but I guess the random question. Uh, we've been kind of switching off here the past couple weeks. It is your boy's turn. And now we're going to be a, a little generic question. But, guys, I want to ask you this. The professional athlete that you'd want to see in your prime, I know that this was an NFL podcast or is an NFL podcast. Now, I can let you guys revert to outside of the league if you want to. That is up to you or maybe a little bit of one-and-one one, if I give you guys enough time to think because I know I just threw that at you. Yeah, we can do college basketball one-and-one. One. You get a front end is NFL, back end is whatever other sport you want to talk about. Well, Wally, take it away. All right, well, I'll go with the outside first. And this was tough because it was basically just between Roberto Clemente and Mario Lemieux. And I'm going to go with Le Roberto Clemente just because the Pirates really, as we all know, have never even been relevant in my life. I've been doing basically victory laps my house for the last month and a half because the Pirates are projected to win about 80 games next year. So to imagine going back in time where the Pirates were – like a proud franchise had proud men, proud people on that team. I couldn't do anything, but Roberto Clemente. And outside of that, I I'm going to pick. I wanted to go Barry Sanders, do something really casual, but as a Raiders fan, I'm actually going to go way back and I'm actually going to go Gene Upshaw because offensive line back in the day, in that era with how mean those people were, there's a reason you got to see some of those guys come in and just like their hands, Anthony Munoz, he's like pinky is like bent forever. He's ruined trench warfare back then was a different breed. 
I was going to say you got to go either Otto, Art Shell, or Gene Upshaw. So what about you guys? Uh, who do you have? Front end, I, I'm going to pick my uncle. So Dan Marino, right? And it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm related to him, but it has the fact to do with, like, if you really talk to a bunch of old, old heads out there who actually watch him play, a lot of them consider him, like, the greatest quarterback who never, not only never won a Super Bowl, but, like, one of the greatest talents that that ever played the game. And Hail I would just, like, like, I think if you put yourself in 1984 when he set records, like, single-season quarterback records that were held until Peyton, Brady, Mahomes, I think that would be unbelievably electric. That's something I'd want to want to sit and watch in its prime as it happens. But the other one is more of like a, a salty one, right? I want to go back. I want to be my age now in the 90s and late 80s so I can watch Michael Jordan play and still to this day confirm that LeBron James is the better basketball player. Ooh, Ooh let's go, David. Start the war with Steven. No, we don't want to do this. James is the is the best all-around basketball player. MJ's the best player to ever play. There, we can just put that to rest. For mine, I'm going to smoke you guys on this. I cannot believe that we didn't think about this and that we're letting this slide. So we're going to go with the football here first. I was on the fence between Lawrence Taylor, arguably the best defensive player to ever play the game. But since it is the 26-year anniversary of Green Bay's Super Bowl victory over the New England Patriots, and if you saw my Twitter earlier, I put this video out. My man, Reggie White, to be able to see, I cannot remember what his nickname is now. Doesn't matter. The the ministry of the, I don't know. My, my buddy Wasn't Paul. Wasn't it just so a minister? My buddy has a video of Reggie White. And I, it's like a book or a video of like his highlights, but him also preaching. And it has like, it's like the minister of destruction or summer, the something. The minister ridiculous. of defense. The minister of defense. I mean, my God. That that's a hard nickname. Else. That is, that's really cool. And if you're seeing everyone now, you know, I know Khalil Mack, we've seen Michael Parsons that, you know, do it as of recent, but just the one arm shove of these offensive linemen, go check Reggie White out. He was doing it. You know, there's players doing it longer than that. I know on the broadcast, you can hear John Madden saying how he picked that up from Howie Long. So it's been happening for a while, but if you want to see it done perfectly, go check a Howie Long out, go check a Reggie White out. It's going to blow your mind. Can we, before you go to your next one, can we just acknowledge that Reggie White might be one of the more underrated defensive linemen in history? And I say that fully knowing that he's probably on everyone's top five list, but like kind of underrated for how dominant he was. Yeah. Obviously, Steven, this is your guy. So I'm going to let you give the Reggie White defense on this. I the only like personal thought is I think of Sidney Crosby in hockey as one of the three, four, five best players in hockey history. And now because of how good Connor McDavid is, like right now, he's the best player in hockey, but somehow that means like Sidney Crosby gets like kind of lost in the shuffle. What he's doing is something we've never seen in this era. He's the best player I've ever seen. So it, it's got to to me, I I agree with you. It's like Reggie White should be talked about the way Lawrence Taylor is. And I, I don't feel like he gets maybe the proper respect. And it's funny if Wally looks over his left shoulder right now, just the irony and everything that he's talking about. I was just about. Hell yeah, I didn't even see that. Let's go see. Literally, as he's talking about Sidney Crosby. This is Sidney Crosby. Crosby highlight. is rolling across the screen in the background. <laughs> I have a weird, uh, like, I don't even know. I have this, like, shrine over here. We'll just never show people. 
that afterwards it's just like that's all i sit in front of at night and just hope for good things so like Helga, whatever her name is from Hey Arnold. Uh, That's what it is. I have a closet. There's a lock of hair that, like, I threw gum at him once. Had to cut it. Yeah, it's it's all good. I agree with exactly what you're saying, but just the age, or I guess the timeline is going to be different because Sydney's currently in the league, and now he's having that. But I think right when Reggie gets out, there was like a boom in the defensive lineman, and really the outside linebackers coming in and rushing. So now not only is it a defensive lineman, you have you know, the hybrid players, you know, now you have Michael Parsons, but there's guys like that. But for some reason, I'm thinking of Jared Allen coming off. I know that is he, he's not Hall of Fame, but I think he's on the ballot this year. Or I don't think he's, he's in my yet, I'll double check. He's maybe not first ballot, but he should be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of players like that, like a Demarcus Ware. I think Dwight that they've Freeney, replaced like guys that followed in Dwight his footsteps. Like there were, you're right. There was kind of like a boom in the early 2000s of like um, unbelievable DNs. Julius Peppers, the the list can go on. My guy Kabir Kabaja Biamila. I'm sure you guys. I'm sure that was on your list. But there, yeah, there's just a boom where it's not that he's underrated. People just kind of forget. It's like Lawrence Taylor and then the 2000s pass rushers. Like, eh, don't forget about these few guys, including Reggie White. So I, I don't think he's underappreciated as much as he's forgotten. But he's forgotten way too much. So to to your point here. Going back to uh, Jared Allen, he is on the ballot and he's a finalist yet again. What Pro Football Reference does is they have this metric that basically gives you a percentage odds based on your position of getting in. And the average Hall of Famer meter is what they call it, 104. Reggie White had the highest of all time for an edge rusher at 239. Right below him is Bruce Smith at 213. So, they're basically saying this guy was an absolute freaking nature. I don't even know where Jared Allen's a 71 for, I guess, comparison's sake here. That's not a shot at Jared Allen. It's just, that's how good Reggie White is. And he isn't talked about nearly as much as he should be. And that's how much he raised the bar. Like they, he has a higher rating than the guy who holds the NFL record for sacks that most likely will not get broken. And Bruce Smith, the only guy to ever hit 200. And that's the list. I think Reggie or someone's right behind him at 198 or 198 and a half, I believe, but right You're behind right, at 198. Right on 198, yep. Yeah, so, wow, I mean, those ball. two guys, and and what's the third spot? Like, who's the big, what's the gap between Reggie and the next guy? I see Deacon Jones at 173. Yeah, so there you go, there's, there's almost. There's a, there's a pretty big drop from Reggie White, because I think, like, Julius Peppers is top five. I want to say Strahan's top five or six there's another guy i, for, I kind of forgot Jason about Taylor's pretty high up there 200. jared allen's pretty high up there but oh, that's crazy there's I, like I a pretty wow. large jump from the top two to like three through seven if i recall correctly and then there's another large jump from like seven to eight through 15 like there are a lot of people that sit in like the 125 a lot of people that sit in like a 150 and then you have like the top three that sit at like 200, 198, 173. And here's the thing is that Bruce Smith played three full seasons more than Reggie White and had two more tackles or sacks. Like that is where Reggie White, this is, it's unbelievable what the guy accomplished in 15 seasons. On top of that, we lost a man too soon. Or what? Early 2004, I know in 2004. Yeah, it was, I think North the Carolina. day after Christmas. 
Yeah, something around there. So I know we just celebrated an anniversary, but you got to give a shout out to the Minister of Defense. Uh, my guy, the guy I wanted to be cocky about how we all missed over, Bo Jackson. The baseball Bo Jackson. We could sprinkle in some football. He only had three or four seasons before he had a hip injury that people are out three weeks for nowadays, which is wild to think about how fast and how quick medicine had and just the physical, I guess not the physical therapy, but um, is that true? You know, the medical staff. I didn't realize like the injury, it's like something that you can just like normally come back from now. I think it was a dislocated hip that he initially got booted well, for that yeah. he called it out on. Whatever it is, it, it sounds like it hurt. I almost said hurted, but it hurt some kind of fierce, any kind of hip injury. I, that just sounds like hell. But how often do you really hear about hip injuries? I know all of Jamar Chase with the hairline hip fracture here a little bit earlier in the season, but all in all, how often do you really hear about those injuries now? I feel like the only hip injury I, I know about confidently, but even I, I God, I forgot Jamar Chase's hip was injured, but I like the only one I know confidently is Bo Jackson, like literally running his hips out of place. And that's the thing. He was such a freak athlete that he hurt himself. Yeah. Speaking of Jamar Chase, it was the damn Bengals that uh, it was the curse that he was playing. That was either the last game, the Bengals. I think that the Raiders won that game, but it was the start of the Bengals' thirty-year playoff drought. It was the curse of Bo, and they had to beat the Raiders in the playoffs last year to extinguish the curse. And now there's Bengals running all over the country. I know. It looks like the day after tomorrow, there's fucking wild animals just rolling around everywhere. It's getting scary out here. I was thinking, what, I Am Legend, where Will Smith's getting ready to shoot a deer, and all of a sudden it's a lion that comes running out of nowhere. God, also a great movie. We are on top of the movie references today, guys. I love it. Yeah, my God. Yeah, I guess we should probably talk football on a football podcast, right? We got some NFL news, Wally. What do you want to talk about? You already know what I'm talking about. It's all about Bob. And it's not Bob the way you think. It's Bill O'Brien. He's back. He is back. He is in New England. He was there actually between 2007 through 2011. The last year in that he was the offensive coordinator. He's been the quarterback coach, offense coordinator at Bama the last couple of years. Everybody thinks of him from the Texans run. And I think a lot of people forget that he was actually a pretty good coach. It's the general manager side of things that you kind of lose a little bit of the luster. What did you guys think about this move? Do you like it or do you kind of not? I love it. You know, I'm not a Mac hater. I'm not an all the way Mac believer, but one foot in one foot out on the Mac Jones. And this is awesome for him. Every report that we're getting out of here is how annoyed he is with the coaches I think with Matt Patricia and, and Joe Judge, but Joe Judge is a different story. But now you get him a guy who at one point, if you guys remember, he was deemed the quarterback whisperer because he had all those runs with Tom Brady and, and what he was able to fix in that time, you know, even though Tom Brady had won Super Bowls before him. That's either here nor there. And yeah, from 2014 to 2019, he was just a head coach until that one year he's the head coach and the, and the GM for the Houston Texans. But all he had was a quarterback carousel and he continually – won that division, the division that David loves and cares about so much in the AFC South, but he won it every year. Sure. Did he lose to the Bengals every single year in the wild card? Absolutely he did. But he also had eight different quarterbacks, one of including Brock Osweiler at one point. Up until he had Deshaun Watson come in, they were churning and burning, but nothing was ever the same once they blew that 24-point lead to Kansas City and Arrowhead during Pat Mahomes' first first offseason, I believe, or first postseason. But 
I like this a lot. It's going to have stability within the offense. Now you actually get an offensive mind in there. Guy was proven. These guys like to flip back between Saban and Belichick or just something else. It couldn't be me. My question is, and you guys can, David, you can go off and answer mine separately. Is this a D hop and BOB reunion in new England now? Not in a million years, not in a million years. I don't think D hops going anywhere near his, anyone that he knows in the Texans days. Maybe, but I, to me, not in a million years. I, but to agree with you, I, I love this move. I think we're going to see a step forward from Mac Jones. Do I think Mac Jones is more than the 10th best quarterback in the NFL at best? No, but I think we're going to see a step forward from him. It's just a great hire for the Patriots. Guaranteed to be at least a big upgrade concerning the fact Matt Patricia and that very dysfunctional coaching staff, at least on the offensive side of the ball last year. So I am excited to see him take steps. They are familiar faces. I know that he didn't coach Mac at Alabama, but they did overlap and they had some football conversations and lead up to the draft. So I do think that's an interesting move for him. Also have to point out the Texans beat the Bengals all those times in the wild card because otherwise I know I will hear never ending shit from my family about it. The Bills. Looking at you, Papa Lukashensky. No kidding. Him and my brother Dylan, they'll both be down my throat. Be like, you know we don't win those playoff games. Yeah, I got nothing. What do you want from me? Bills talk. Couple things. One good, one bad. We'll start with good. Josh Allen, not going to have elbow surgery. Sounds like rest and relaxation is all he's going to need. On the other hand, GM Brandon Bean drew a little bit of criticism this week for his Jamar Chase comments. If you just take it out of context, it was, I don't want to suck bad enough to get Jamar Chase. It just came from a question basically saying, hey, the Bills haven't drafted well enough. How can you get basically to draft this successfully as the Bengals have? And there you have it. This is a dumb fucking report. It's because things got boring. Like, why the fuck is it shocking a GM says he doesn't want to be bad enough to draft a fucking top-tier player? Chase was literally drafted fifth overall. As a GM, I never want to be drafting fifth overall unless it's because I scummed some fucking team, like some horrific team, out of their fifth overall pick, you know, for another player. Like, I I never want to be bad enough to be in that position. So 100% in agreement with what Bean said. It was just a stupid thing to say. You don't need to say it. Everyone agrees with you, but just like eat your crow, fucking build your team in the offseason, figure out how you get a running back in there, figure out how you get even more talent around Josh Allen so that it's not Josh Allen versus all on offense and figure out how you how you recover from this. Because at the beginning of the season, they looked like an unbeatable team. And then we saw some injuries. We saw some differences and. And, you know, they just didn't live up to fruition, but it's okay. Just go into the off season, eat your crow, build your team, come back stronger. I really have to go back and listen to the full interview because it's just such a weird answer. It's like, yeah, I understand, but I think he's also answering in the fact of his current team. No, I don't want to suck bad enough to be five because we've worked so much and so far to get here. Now, yeah, to David's point, totally different, like a Frank Reich. We'll get to that. But it's like, yeah, that's totally different going in there and sucking bad enough to get Jamar Chase. That's a great position to be in versus, yeah, just what, fifth or sixth year? Of course you don't want to suck that bad six years in. Who wants to suck? Who wants to be horrible at their job six years into it? Of course it's a bad look. But all in all, of course you want J- or, um, Jamar Chase. And, yeah, he comments about how we got Stefan Diggs. We're paying him a good amount of money, yada, yada. 
Honestly, if you didn't get Stefan, you would have had Justin Jefferson been in the same position right now. Probably not winning because Josh's elbow, whatever it may be. Stupid conversation, but man, taking things out of context, this is way too early. It's not even the offseason yet to do this. It's a week removed from the game, not even. Come on. Let's wait a couple more weeks before we're blowing shit out of proportion. To the victors go to spoils. And unfortunately for Brandon Bean, he knew that – I think that everybody knew the media member was trying to get under his skin to get a click, to get a soundbite, and they got it because Brandon Bean took the bait. He was so upset over what happened last week, and he probably should have left the Bengals out of it, at least in his – or at least the way he said it, he probably should have chosen his words more carefully. Yeah, the Stefan Diggs, you bring him in, that is an outstanding move on his point. It is something to keep in the back of your mind going into draft season, though, though, that the Bills have struggled to draft wide receivers in a league all of a sudden where it's very hard to miss on wide receivers. They've drafted ahead and missed on Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf, I mean, Justin Jefferson. So it's just... He shouldn't have let the, the reporter win, and that's what happened here. Ezekiel Elliott, he wants to be back in Dallas, even if it means a pay cut. David, you are a huge advocate of not wanting a running back to be drafted in the first round. Not only did the Cowboys do that with Zeke, they did another cardinal sin in your eyes, and they extended him and paid him more money. What do you think? Do you think that it makes sense to bring him back on a pay cut, or is it time to cut him loose if he's willing to restructure I, I mean you can go you can go out and you can replace him in the sixth round of the draft really you can you can replace him easily in the sixth round of the draft but if you can restructure and make his de- like his dead cap hit this next year is still like 11 million or something that's not something you're not just going to cut him out right like that's a lot regardless it's a big cap hit it's not the 30 million cap hit that like russell wilson has if you cut him now or you know, that Zeke had the last three years. It's not like the uh, 100 million cap hit that I'm sure Patrick Mahomes would have if, if you cut him. But like 10 million is a lot to to take in just straight dead cap. If you can restructure him and, and maybe give him like low money, but fully guaranteed, like you're paying him, let's say you're paying him five instead of 10 million this year, but it's fully guaranteed. Like, why not? At this point, why not? If he's going to be your your backup running back, he's going to be a, a reliable number two. Is is basically like you're going to have to convince him that he's no longer the starting guy, and B, he's going to take a pay cut, but like you'll full guarantee that low salary. It's going to seem like a low ball, but Zeke's just not Zeke. Let's restructure. I'll give you five six million a year for the next three years instead of ten to fifteen, but I'll fully guarantee it lower your dead cap money, restructure that contract, increase some more room to make your team better. Otherwise, you probably have another year of him before you can cut him and not feel the pain at all, especially because Dallas was in cap hell last year. Like they can't, they really cannot afford it. And what is it? $11 million cap hit, like a dead cap hit this year. So like he's on the roster. Why not restructure with him? Make it, make it advantageous for you if he's going to be on the roster this next year anyways. Well, that's 11 mil just for the dead hit if they, if they cut him. Now, if they keep him, it's around 16 mil. Now, I always know I give examples of Packers, but what's happened over the last few years is the contracts like an Aaron Rodgers where they kind of redo it, but they give you voidable years here. Why not do that? I think you can snag him for a few mil to your point this year, David, but let's have a couple more. Let's make that 
the next two years after that voidable. So it's a little bit easier for you. Maybe Zeke gets a little bit more money. But at the end of the day, that's a guy who gave a lot of work, put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into your organization. That's going to give him an opportunity. So sure, you won't be able to benefit from trading him, but he gets to go walk, get his last big contract potentially with the team and see some starting minutes before his shelf life is done. Why not? But if he's more likely to sit here, take that two-headed running monster role that he kind of did with Tony Pollard this year, then why not? It's smart. And that's also not him and Tony Pollard. There's another guy you're going to have to worry about paying here to know that he was in a contract year. Maybe we'll get him a little bit cheaper because of the broken fibula. Fibula, my goodness. But let's not, let's not trip here. At one point, Zeke did have nine straight games with a touchdown, with at least one touchdown, sprinkling with a couple, two touchdown games. But everyone's always going to remember him averaging under 40 yards the last five weeks of the three weeks of the regular season, two weeks in the playoffs. So you can get him back cheap. Why not? And you know what? If it doesn't work out, which, shocker, it's not going to work out next year, then you and Dak can go find somewhere else to be together. See, but that's the thing. And I'm the biggest Zeke guy out there. He's one of my favorite Buckeyes ever. And I wanted this to be like a Hall of Fame career in Dallas. It was a solid career. But his legs are gone, guys. He He's not the same guy. It's over. And what's the point of keeping a guy like that even if you take a pay cut, it's time to just say, all right, this was a mistake. It is $10 million. I can live with it. I just don't want to have an Arizona Emmett Smith on my roster eating up money right now. I, what I think in this, by the way, spot track projects market values for future players out there. Tony Pollard, I think is going to be in the market around four years, $9.3 million a year. If you're going to be paying big money like that in free agency, I'm telling you what, it ain't going to be Zeke. It ain't going to be Tony Pollard. Look for Saquon Barkley to stay in the division and go down to Dallas. But, okay, hear me out. Why you're spending more, you're spending twice as much money going after Barkley than keeping Pollard and going another year of Zeke and drafting a running back. You're, I'm, I'm with you. Go sign Barkley. Stupid. Here's the thing. You go sign Barkley. You get an $11 million cap hit from Zeke for cutting him. Then you're paying Barkley probably $8 million, $9 million a year. Don't be more than eight or nine. Doubling what you would have just like spent restructuring Zeke, running it back. Dallas was great this year. Dallas was great. Two headed beast. You can get another year out of that. You can pay Pollard after that year. You get Zeke off the books at $6 million dead cap hit. Or if you restructure, even less. You go and you build your roster somewhere else. Restructure, get his $16 million hit for him being on the roster down to like eight. Go spend that eight somewhere on the defense. Build it up even more. Even if it's on the offense, go get a receiver. Go get a secondary receiver for CeeDee Lamb that's not Noah Brown. Build your team up rather than go and get another useless position for $9 million a year after you take the $11 million cap hit. You got you remember, who's on your side? I hate running backs. I hate running backs. I know. And I mean, this is the running back camp with you. I'm with you about this is a position you shouldn't spend money on. But what is Jerry Jones and what are the Dallas Cowboys known for? And it's overpaying and making splash moves. The, another thing to consider, too, is that just because you don't have the word dead cap, if you have Ezekiel Elliott on your roster in 2023, that is dead cap. 
He is dead cow. He just said he wants to restructure. restructure. And that's great. How okay. far down are you willing to go and still pay him to waste a roster position? Give him, drop him down to eight this year. Drop him it's down to eight It's still too year. much. Drop him. I agree, but drop him down. You're saving money by dropping him down to eight this year and next year and fully guaranteeing it. And then your cap hit is literally still less over two years. And he gets what he wants. You get what you want. You get more money to spend in the offseason on positions you need. Sure, the value makes no sense, but they're not getting rid of Zeke for less than, you know, if they don't restructure, they're not getting uh, rid of Zeke for less than like 20 million for a total hit. Why not make it like 16, 15? If you can get it out of 14, fantastic. Why not take that? You have to take your medicine. Just take your medicine and get it over with. You know they're just going to sign Saquon and then keep Zeke and have them both. That's Jerry. That's the Jerry Jones. I mean, that's a Jerry Jones thing too, but. Give me somebody else to run the team. (laughs) Well, fuck. All right. Um. Uh, yeah that's that's the one what about him wally yeah he's a head coach again carolina steve wilkes is out how do we feel about this this is back-to-back years i feel like an interim is just proving why it's the worst job in sports to take yeah we saw with rick rick basakio who's who actually went over to green bay as a special teams coordinator who interviewed for the head coaching position for indianapolis so that kind of went full circle but yeah i never I never can stand behind and, you know, it's a lot easier for me to talk above here in my, in my ivory castle. But if you have players going up to bat for your interim head coach, why would you not want that? The number one thing you need in sports is the locker room. You know, it doesn't matter what your public perception is, what people think, if they like you in that organization and like playing in that locker room, they will stay this. I mean, they basically got rid of everybody that, that really matters in that organization playing wise and pro bowl wise, but you hired Matt rule. You had that dumbass run our team for a while. And now you have Steve Wilkes, someone that we want to battle for go up, go out to war for. Then you're going to bring in Frank Wright to coach the same team. He struggled with in Indianapolis. We're a quarterback carousel with a good offensive line needs works with pieces. The defense is all we have to work with. You went to the same team, Frank Reich. It's just a lot warmer, and you get to play outside eight Sundays a year. I'm with you. I don't – what Steve Wilkes did with that – with arguably one of the least talented offenses in the NFL, if not the least talented, like I – there's an argument to be made there. I mean, they traded away all their talent in middle of the season except for their DN star and – their wide receiver like I, I and and you know they got a, a corner on a rookie contract still that's really good but like talent wise this roster is nothing so what Steve Wilkes did with it is impressive nonetheless and I just don't know why I don't know why you would move on from him rather than give him you know hey here's a two-year extension you be the head coach let's see who you hire let's see what you can do in the drafts let's see what what we got here because to your point Stephen, you're getting players that are backing this guy you're getting you're getting players that are willing to go out and fight for this guy and there's something it might be being overplayed a little bit but there's something to be said for that right like there is really truly something to be said for having control of the locker room and having your locker room respect you and want to play for you 
I mean, Sam Darnold as a starting quarterback to win a game with Sam Darnold is is more impressive than than what any eighty percent of the head coaches out there have on their resume, as far as I'm concerned. I, and he I made just, him look good for like a month at the end of the year. Right. Right. So like, and and maybe that's not maybe that's not Wilkes. Maybe it's the offensive coordinator. But like, why not run it back with that same staff, or maybe give Wilkes the opportunity to to advance that staff. And then go out and draft and see what you got. And maybe in the draft, you get three or four great players. And maybe next year still kind of looks the same. And you go, hey, you know what? Maybe Wilkes isn't for us after all. But, like, why not give him, like, a two-year deal? And and this is what I understand. Like, is Wilkes really going to deny that? Is he going to be like, no, like, I don't want that? Like, sure, if you're trying to get Sean Payton there, you got to give him five years, whatever money you're giving him. But, like, are are these interim coaches really going to deny like a two-year head coaching gigs, like is Steve Wilkes going to get head coach anywhere else in the NFL? No. So like they could deny being the interim, can't they? Yeah, I mean, like I just what like are they going to say no to like if you just do a short contract for what he's worth? Like, you know, you save money in the end if he's not the guy, but if he is the guy, you end up looking like a fucking genius in the front office. So like, I just don't know. I don't get it because Frank Reich is clearly not the guy. In fact, Frank Reich is a phenomenal offensive coordinator. But like, not the guy as head coach, and it is it was very clear. I had mixed emotions on it because I agree with you guys about. I mean, the, the, there is something to be said about the locker room fighting so hard for Wilkes. Got to watch it with the Raiders last year, and it made it really hard when they obviously moved on. But I I will say at least when you bring Riken, you know this will be a professional team. It'll be a team that's competitive. I just am getting tired too because we're kind of doing this. We're not kind of, we are. We're recycling head coaches like we always do. And I'm tired of it. I just say, how many more times are we going to watch the same guy go and become a head coach at another middling team and expect them to do anything different when they haven't and they've proven they aren't able to? This is Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher is a great example. It's the stale hires and I'd rather go down in a blaze of glory signing or having Lane Kiffin back in 2007 with the Raiders take a gamble than go and trot out another average head coach for the nth time. NFL head coaches are like lacrosse goalies or just nutcases, right? Like in Frank Reich's example, you went from that dumpster fire that you had in Indianapolis, right? You had Jim Mersey breathing down your neck. You can smell the Percocet on his breath. You know, there's just time after time, heartbreak, something happening, not going right, putting out bad product, can't find a stable quarterback to play because Andrew Luck retires. And you, you know what? You take a couple months, good for you, watch Jeff Saturday, be your predecessor, and then you jump right back into it. It's a definition of insanity, Frank, right? But that's why I think that they're all nutcases. I'm like, you're going right back. You're just a little bit closer to the beach. You're going to have more sunshine. It's going to be hot, and you get to play outside. With that, let's get into our conference championship picks. What the hell's going on out here? Before we get into it, you know, I got to toss it to Wally, see how the records are doing. But we want you to know that this conference championship picks are brought to you by Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop shop marketing agency specializing in branding, high photography, fashion, and more, especially if you're our age where it feels like there's weddings, baby pictures, college graduations, you name it. Every weekend, they are happening. Abby Turner Creative is the only way to go. Check her out for yourself at abbyturnerphoto.com. That's A-B-B-E-Y, 
or on her Instagram at saw dad and Sapphire again, abbyturnerphoto.com. This might be, and I feel like we say it every year, the most exciting conference championship Sunday I've been looking forward to. Wally, take it away. How'd the boys do last week? Get us into our first game. Muted. God, yeah. you, looked, you looked really good delivering that too. That's that's really sad. Yeah, that, that felt good coming out too. And now I'm gonna stumble all over myself. It really looks good. I'm like, damn, he is spitting, but he is muted. Yeah, we're we're just used to this by now. But we've been so good this postseason, which is so refreshing the way the regular season has gone. David, another great week, went seven and one, up 3.6 units. I went six and two, 1.7 units. And Steven, five and three, 1.56 units. So if you bet with any of us, you made money. Wait, you hear that? It's it's playoff David coming to take all of your money. You know, the best part is that I could have added that in after the fact, and it would have been like so clear. But it's funnier that it's, it's choppy and terrible. <laughs> well... I, I mean, I don't have much else because David's been hot. There's not much to say. He's creeping up into the – getting close to the green. I am nowhere near it, but, Steven, stay hot, man. David, I think I think if you play your cards right, you can you can end with the final game getting you into the green. I mean, you got to go – Imagine a world where I'm just take zero, zero, zero. Like, <laughs> I bet, right? So perfectly that I'm just straight up even on the year. That that's big, like Rocky at the end of the first movie vibes, where you like a tie's a win. Like I don't care. There ain't gonna be no rematch. There ain't gonna be no rematch. But our first game on Saturday is actually the NFC Championship game, which surprised me at first, guys. I don't know why. I kind of expected the AFC. The way because it was. it's a fucking travesty that Philly, San Francisco isn't going to keep me up until 11 p.m. All and right. It's that's a fucking true, travesty. too. I mean, the, this is, feels like the best two teams in yeah. the NFL. And the Eagles are two and a half point favorites with the total at 46 and a half. Crazy. I just found this out today. The 18th time that the Niners are in an NFC championship game. It's like one in three in history. They're just in. I'm just how many so Super Bowls they have to show for it though? What five? Is it four or five? Five. Is yeah. it six? I think it's no, five. It's only the Steelers have there, six. I thought there were three teams with six, and then the Patriots broke that. Am I? No, Maybe I am. Three teams now, with five, and the Patriots broke it with six. Is this a football podcast? There's definitely three Allegedly. teams that are tied with the Steelers. Well, the Patriots, the Patriots definitely have six. Steelers have six, and then Cowboys and San Fran have five. Thank God. I thought it was oh. going crazy. No, I thought, the, it was, I thought they were all tied at six. That's my bad. No, That's you're just... good. You're good. The 49ers were 5-0 and in Super Bowls until the Harbaugh Bowl, and now they've lost two straight. And that's part of the, the part that tricks me in there, too, because they've been there about half the time. They, they get to the NFC title and they move on. Eagles, though, this is a true – Big boy battle. The defensive line, 70 sacks this year. Second most all-time. Second most in the NFL this year behind them was the Chiefs with 55. 15 apart from number two. But on the other side, you have one of the best left or left tackles in NFL history and one of the wisest young offensive minds in football. 
Where are you going? Because this, to me, is the best matchup of the 2022 season. Look, I'm at the end of the day, I'm not really sure which way to go. This is going to be a battle of the trenches, and they're so fucking even. It's hard to fucking pick. But I'm taking Philadelphia minus two and a half money line and the over of 46 and a half. My gut is just that Philly is who we thought they were. And for some reason, it, it feels both of these teams, even with the number one and number two defense on the year playing each other, both these teams feel like they can score 24 points each. And that's why I feel like the over is going to hit. I'm on the train with you. Give me Philly minus two and a half. Give me the money line. It's really hard, really, really hard because I wanted San Fran. I thought I took them um, kind of a few weeks ago as my NFC, but now we're here. Philadelphia shut me up really quick last week. I'm here, guys. I know I picked the Giants plus seven and a half, and I know I picked the money line, and I got smoked. I know I wasn't here Monday, but I'm going to man up. But let me get Philly minus two and a half in their money line. You know, Purdy kind of had an average game, which is it would have been really any different if Jimmy G was in last week. Let's be real. Come on. But this game is going to be one of the trenches, which we've all been saying for weeks. Wally's even touched on it here, and David's already touched on it. But Brock Purdy's going to be the fifth rookie quarterback in NFL history to start a conference championship game. What were the others? 0-4 straight up. Average margin of victory for the opposing team is by 10 points. So those rookie quarterbacks are losing on average by 10 points in theirs. There's some good names. you got a Joe Flacco, which I completely forgot about in 08. Someone in 09, why I don't know why it's slipping my memory. You had what Big Ben in 04, then someone else in 99. I want to say Stevie Jurgensen. I'm totally off. One of those, one of those names is right. I dude, I am so off, but I was like, I've never heard of this man in my life, which makes sense. You got to give me Philly at home in that environment. You're taking a West Coast team into the cold, right into the belly of the beast. And I just like what Philly's defense is going to be able to bring because. San Fran, their weakness is their their secondary, quote-unquote, which is middle of the pack, giving up about 223 yards per game in there. So middle of the pack in yardage. And I just like I like the nod in the Philly secondary and the way that they match up against their offense versus what San Fran's defense matches up or what Philly's matches up. And you guys know what I'm saying. Give me Philly, minus two and a half. Fly, Eagles, fly. Cannot wait. And it's going to be so nice to see San Fran lose in the NFC title game. God, it gives me joy. Welcome back to the Eagles Nest, by the way. We've missed you, Stephen. Last week, it was a little lonely. But but let's, uh, as the uh, kids would say, let's wrap. But let's talk for a second. So, A.J. Brown. What kids are saying that? I, I, I'm trying to do. Like, Buddy, what, let's are wrap. You, are we going to take this back to the pedophilia discussion or something? Like, I'm trying. If I was not as fat, too, I'd, even, I'd be standing with my leg up and doing the foot on the stool. Let's let's talk. Guys. Let's never let's never show that on air ever. Oh, we're definitely going to. <laughs> you give it time, I'll be shirtless too. I'll be looking real good. Throw a little tan in there. Hey, well, 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 I thought that, I thought that outfit was just for me. Oh, don't worry are, about are we it. I'll tie it up. Into like the porn podcast genre now, or what? Like, whoa, 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 whoa! Only whoa. fans. Unbelievable. Only fans. This. <laughs> hey, fans. we do not. We do not discriminate against sex workers, David. I mean, my God, it is. I'm not discriminating. I'm just wondering, are we changing our genre here or what? Oh, you you changed your tone real quick. You changed your tone real quick. That's not how the, that's not what the energy was before. We've missed like two or three calls this week. So maybe we should move on to another style of podcast, but 
Anyways, my question for you guys is just this. Before I give any picks, A.J. Brown, three catches for 22 yards last week, and he was kind of throwing a little bit of a, a fit about not getting the ball. Does that worry anybody at all, or is that just like you throw it out, they'll get him the ball plenty this week, everything's back to normal? I think he actually had more targets than Devontae Smith. And since the first game where he out-targeted, I think it's I think Devontae's had about four more targets the rest of the 16 games. But you know what? It's you know, it's so classic. A guy who a guy who'll give you the line of hey, if we're winning, we're happy. Of course, when you're winning, that means that you're getting production. But when you don't have any production, you're winning. Now you're just gonna kind of sit in the corner and cry. Classic wide receiver. Classic These are the kind of the action. This is the actions why you get traded of why Tennessee didn't want to pay you. Now, obviously, he set career highs this year, so they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot. But then when they see those actions, it's like, man, I'm glad we don't have them because Tannehill couldn't even get him the ball 13 times or even a look 13 times, let alone 13 catches. So he'll be fine. He'll get his. Everything Stephen said, but what's fun here, if you really want to throw a bet in before we get to the prop bets, obviously, uh, A.J. Brown under four and a half receptions plus 120 right now. You want to play those games, roll that die? Ooh, I, don't, I don't know about that. And and I'll tell you Hell why. No. Hell no is right because I'm with you guys. The Eagles minus two and a half. I'm with the money line. Not with you, David, because the under 46 and a half is going to hit. I've been Mr. Eagle all year, you know, and this, this past, since the past draft season, I should say. And this is the moment it all, it's all going to really pay off. Because I wanted to WWE, like, heel turn, do the, like, hit the the hero with the chair in the head and everybody hates me all of a sudden, pick against Philadelphia, or even do the Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. Neither is going to happen because I can't do it. My heart is actually with this Eagles team, believe that or not, as crazy as that is to say. And, And realistically, I think the only recipe that I have is that Trent Williams neutralized Michael Parsons, so you hope that he can do the same to Hassan Reddick. Where the problem comes in for me is that unlike the Cowboys last week, who only had one guy with more than six sacks on the year besides Micah, who was Dorrance Armstrong with 8.5, there are three other Eagles with 11 or more sacks. This is a historic defense. And then even on the other side, I get – 49ers giving up the fewest amount of rush yards in the league. What the Eagles just do last week against a division rival that knew what they wanted to do, 44 runs, 268 yards, that's 6.1 yards per carry and three touchdowns. Guys, I'm telling you, this is going to be Brock Purdy's worst game of the year, and the Eagles are going to show the importance of the number one seed in that bye, and they're going to look fresher. And I'm telling you, they're going to beat the shit out of the 49ers. It's going to be 27 to 10. And I don't know if it ever feels that close. Book it. The Cincinnati Bengals are headed to what the Cincinnati fans, Kentucky fans, are calling Burrowhead. (laughs) You like that? Kansas City Chiefs are now one point favorites. This game has flip flopped so much over just the last three, just hell, over the last day, let alone ever since this matchup got locked in. But in there, we had the total set at 47 and a half here. Give me Kansas City. I filled this out at, I want to say, 1130. I had Kansas City at plus one and a half. Give me Kansas City minus one. Give me their money line. Give me the over 47 and a half. Are the Bengals really going to beat 
the Chiefs for the fourth straight time. I just can't see it happening. Just like I never saw them beating them the first three times. So what the hell do I know? Joe Shiesty, 3-0 against the spread against Pat Mahomes, covering the spread on average by seven points. Now, just in case, and I don't want to confuse you guys, but just in case that this flips back to the Bengals being the favorites, road favorites have gone 3-8-2 and two against the spread over the last 10 postseasons. Pat Mahomes, on the other hand, went in underdog, 6-3 and three straight up, 7-1-1 one and one against the spread. He lost his first game as an underdog, or... Yeah, as an underdog this past year. But now, this is the information you want. Chiefs, when they're three or more point favorites, they're 30, 37, and one against the spread. When it's three or fewer points, they're 10 and five against the spread. Give me the Chiefs at Burrowhead, minus one. Give me their money line. Give them the over 47 and a half. I hope, I think that this can be a mini shootout. I hope that it is a large shootout. Who? I'm doing Cincinnati plus one in money line, and I just changed my bet. And I don't know why, because it feels like the Bengals can't go four and zero against Mahomes. It just it it feels like that's not right. And my gut says Cincinnati wins this, but my brain says bet Mahomes. But I'm gonna go with my gut at Cincinnati plus one in money line. But before I hand it over to Wally, I we talked on Monday about Eli Apple. I went and I did some research and I fucking hate Eli Apple even more now after after doing that research. Eli Apple is a fucking chump. Over his time with Cincinnati, he's averaged like a 55 PFF coverage grade and allowed a 101.5 passer rating into his coverage, like the entire duration, all average, 101.5. He has He has two interceptions, but has been beaten for 11 touchdowns. And while like, so like in comparison, Sauce Gardner, who we, you know, relate to Darrell Rivas, like top tier corner, best corner, 88 and a half BFF grade at corner. He, <laughs> Eli Apple, rank, yeah, he ranks 68th at the position and 64 players start at it. So he's not even in, in a ranking of starting cornerbacks. Like I, I hate he like the more he I saw him talk on Twitter, the more I was interested in looking into his stats. He's terrible. He's not good. And and he has some bright spots, some games where he's average. And then we we do what we did on Monday and I give him credit for credit he doesn't deserve. And then he goes on Twitter and he makes himself look like an idiot. And I hate him even more. And now I'm going to expose him as one of the worst cornerbacks in the NFL. He has a little he has the reverse LeBron where. His good plays stick out way more because he's so bad all the time. We're like, oh, yeah, we're expecting him to be like that. But when he plays, you're like, oh, shit. So, like, LeBron, like, the, that's why I call him reverse LeBron because he'll average 38 and 8 when he's when he's 60. And they're like, yeah, well, we expect him to do that. But when he has a bad game, everyone's on him. But Eli Apple, it's like, yeah, oh, you didn't get burned for a touchdown? Let's throw this guy a parade. Okay, I, oh, I'm just. Oh wait, wait, wait! Here's some more statistics before Wally speaks because he's a closet Bengals fan and he's going to defend Eli Apple here. In primary coverage, for 63 open targets, that's the sixth most in the entire NFL. And <laughs> with obviously Cincinnati's playoff runs, he he gets more playing experience. But if you look at his open target rate, he he his his wide receivers he's covering are open 
40.6% of the time ranks in the bottom of the NFL. He's one of the worst corners in the NFL. I'm again, I was not coming in to do this knight and sh- what shining armor for Eli Apple. But all I'm saying is, doesn't it feel like sometimes on like a team like this, it's almost good to have someone like that that gets under people's skin so much? Because I you can't tell me Stefan Diggs was Stefan Diggs last week. And a large part of that is because Eli Apple runs his mouth a whole hell of a lot and he gets under people's skin. If you don't allow him to, those stats are great. But what happens when there is pressure on the quarterback, you're not getting the targets that you're used to getting in the regular season, all of a sudden having a guy like Eli, I mean, there's a reason why the Bengals keep going to him and haven't been giving up a lot of points in these postseason games for two straight seasons. It's just something to consider on that is for Eli Apple. I don't think he is a large part of what Stefan's stat line was last week. Now, yeah, he was defending him. Josh Allen made some horrible throws. I you thought there like could 10, be throws. Do you think do you think anyone's throwing 10 fucking targets towards Sauce Gardner's direction or any top tier corner? He had 10. You're right. And how did it go? Targets. He had four that's catches. Josh Allen. That's not Eli Apple. He, he that's, has four. That's I can, it's just we got to pick what side of this I'm right on because it's either Josh Allen's side or the Eli Apple side. I like to believe Wally's right on both things. So that's where I'm going to run with that. Eli Apple sucks. That's my take. And, he, and yeah. he's not great. I'm not arguing that. That's my point. What I will say going into this, everybody's talking about the 3-0. and They've all been very tight games. They've all come down to the last possession. It's not like the Bengals have worked the Chiefs in any of these. But the I, Chiefs have all – they've had leads in every single one of them. I want to say 19, 14, and 7 the last three. Yeah, and they've had leads in the second half in these games. It's not like they're, like, trailing. The Bengals have actually been the team playing from behind. But that's also part of the thing where if we're talking about Patrick Mahomes is, like, the best, most skilled quarterback in the NFL, which that's fine if we want to go that route, it reminds me a lot of those 2005, 2006-era – Colts Patriot games Tom Brady and Joe Burrow have those similarities where Joe Burrow almost decides he's not going to lose and the Bengals offense plays at another level we haven't seen I mean during their 10 game winning streak they're on they're averaging over 28 points a game and they're holding opponents under 20 a game and here's the the other fun fact that you want to look at with these teams when they play they haven't really blitzed Mahomes or Mahomes Mahomes in the last two years but they've been getting a lot of pressure with just their front four. If they can do that again, they'll win this game because we talked last week about the, the Jaguars having the third worst quarterback rating to tight ends. The Bengals are third best. So if you take Travis Kelsey away, that leads everything into Patrick Mahomes on one and a half legs and Isaiah Pacheco are going to have to have monster games to win. And I just don't believe it's going to happen. So I apologize, Bengals fans. I've got the Bengals plus one. I have the money line, and honestly, it's like what uh, Forrest Gump said, that I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. That is where I love this team right now, and I don't care if my brain is telling me Chiefs are going to win. My heart's telling me this time is the time to jump on this team because I think they're going back to the Super Bowl. 
With that, let's get you into our last segment, the prop lock and drop. You guys know we give you a prop of the week, a game we think is an absolute lock, and the drop, one we want to stay away from. David, I will toss it over to you to get your smorgasbord of stats going. By the way, did that hit last week? No, I I forget what I lost it. I have actually, the last two weeks, the outrageousness of my Was it Joe Mixon? Yeah, I've actually only missed because only one of, like, the 55 fucking players I bet on uh, missed. So, like, you know, that's the reason you don't bet parlays, but also, like, it gets the juices flowing when you're that close. You'll know when David's parlay hits because he won't be on the next show. It'll be like a lottery ticket. Facts. So, this week, my my prop, it's it's another one of those bet a dollar, win big parlays. Like, you know, you're probably not going to be able to bet it unless you're in Vegas, but Pat Mahomes plus two and a half touchdowns. Uh, again, that's the one I missed on last week. Actually, I know it's the one I missed on last week because he was hurt. He missed one drive and what's his face got the touchdown to Kelsey instead of him, but plus two and a half touchdowns. That's at plus 59 plus 159 right now. Uh, Jarek McKinnon under six and a half carries is plus 114. AJ Brown, anytime touchdown score, Kelsey, anytime touchdown score. Like I said, bet a dollar win big. My lock is. Philly, San Francisco, or over 46 and a half. I said it earlier, both offenses, both defenses, unfucking real but it just feels like both these teams can score 24 points in the game. My drop is anything related to the other game because Mahomes kind of feels like he's close to 100%, isn't 100%. The Bengals have beat him 3-0, but, like, you know, can they go 4-0? Just like a lot of unknowns about that game. Just drop the whole thing for me. Like, I don't I don't like that game of betting. My prop, A.J. Brown, and this is a long shot prop too, to score first and to score the last touchdown in the game this weekend. If he is the first and last touchdown scorer, that pays plus 9,000. So, something uh, you make a little money on, like 10 bucks, it's a $900 winner. If that happens, his the lock here, I have Philadelphia, San Francisco under 46 and a half. Also calling the Philadelphia minus two and a half a lock in this game. I love the Eagles. I do think it's going to be two very good defenses keeping it a low scoring game, but I don't think the Eagles lose. And I'm not going to give you a drop. It is the freaking semifinals for the whole entire league. We're not going to do that now. I'm, I'm just going to go full speed ahead and go more units down per usual. Steven, you're up. My probably me, I hit Pacheco over 47 and a half rushing yards. He has hit his total in the last 10 games. T Higgins, anytime touchdown score. I think the last five games I've picked him to score. He has not. Something's got to give. Brock Purdy interception and give me a Dallas Goddard anytime touchdown score. That all parlayed is going to give you plus 2233. So what, $10 to win two, man? No, not that much. $223. There it is. Quick math. Lock of the week is having a great for championship Sunday. Force feed me like the from seven, the conference championship games this weekend. I want Brad Pitt to great walk movie. in and be like, holy shit, this guy's fat. Like, yeah, he looks like he was watching the Philly San Fran game. I don't blame him. We got to get home. KC's about to kick off. What's in the box? Frosted flakes. <laughs> 
With that, that's going to bring us to an end of another episode of Loss of Down. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, at Lockdown, and Twitter, underscore loss. Shout out to our sponsors, as well as abbyturnerphoto.com. Boy, we're against tonight. Who day and fly, Eagles fly. I just want everyone to know on this podcast that for the second time, Ollie started talking while muted and, like, you know, they might uh, not even hear this. Hour. It's like it's like he's not 118 podcasts deep into the game. My problem is you everybody at home will hear this right now too. The last five minutes have been so choppy, and I think it's on my end. So I'm like hyper fixated on that. So the people are gonna have to just know that we're trying. I know that if it got a little choppy there, we apologize, but I guess that's all I got. We are who we are. Take it as it is. Nobody's perfect. Dumb and Dumber's on right now. I just watched it the other day. It's never. See, I don't like Jim Carrey. Even okay, that's fine. But like, I just don't like him. I mean, it's it's of his movies. Uh, I mean, think I probably. Well, yeah, the Grinch. I would agree with. Here, I'll pull up because you don't know it's him the whole. You don't know it's him the whole time, just like Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. That's a great point. As, but I, I mean, Jim Carrey in the Grinch, I felt like it played into his ridiculousness. Yes. But a lot of the other movies, he's just like too much, too often. That well, liar, liar, because he has to be, and then Dumb and Dumber. I think he's he's as toned down as possible. He's not fully Ventura, but. Yeah, Dumb and Dumber, that he that's him, is Dumb and Dumber. I was gonna say Dumb and Dumber, I really enjoyed. I I thought Yes Man was better than people thought. It wasn't great, but it was okay. Bruce Almighty was solid. Truman Show was great. I think that's probably my favorite of Jim Carrey. Because he's been an actor. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, for like Ace Ventura, I know I'm gonna get hate like shit. Doesn't do it for me. Duh, never did. Although your your uncle's in that, so sorry for I'm not gonna screw the royalties on oh, there fair. for you, David. Yeah, I've only seen that movie like twice. It doesn't do it for me. I I like certain Jim Carrey movies hit hard for me, and certain eh. like the slapstick, like really slapstick. It's too much. If you yeah. want to throw another question in there instead of this, what about your favorite athlete promo in a movie? Wait, oh, uh, cameo. Cameo promo. I didn't know. I'm like, what? Like, what? Like, Jamie Foxx doing oh, right now? Oh, what's that? That's sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my God. That's tough on the spot. Um, I wouldn't I mean, even think that on the spot. Yeah, I'm not either. I'm literally going to type in athlete. Uh, you can also you can do Lawrence Taylor for that, too, a shark in uh, any given Sunday. Or Jim Brown as their, deep, as their defensive coordinator. Michael Jordan in Space Jam. That's got to be the answer already. But what about not what even about, like a cameo though? He's like the star fucking. True. I, I, but like I guess what it's how do you define a cameo? Exactly as it's defined. It's like a brief, a brief moment in time inside of a movie or show. Like cut like, off is like you're on the TV for four minutes. Yeah, no more than four lines. <laughs> four lines. Mike Ditka and kicking and screaming. Oh, that was in uh what was it? Oh, uh, airplane. That's a great one too. Oh, yeah, cuz he was like uh something Murdoch, the the pilot. Mm-hmm. Oh, a great movie.
What about did someone uh, else like airplane that's under the age of like I can't say thirty now because Steven. <laughs> your, your time is coming. Your time is fucking coming. <laughs> Wait, did we already started? We already started recording too, so I guess you can throw us in whenever. 